Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. So I tried to think of a funny story just to let you into a little bit of my world. And I couldn't think of a funny one, but I have thought of a slightly traumatic one. Now, normally when I do things like this, I will run it through Mark and check with him, babe, do you think this is suitable? And I've got to admit, I haven't had a chance to do that today. So I'm taking, I'm taking a little bit of a risk, but I just thought it might just, you know, if I share an experience in my life, it'll help you to relate to me a little bit better. So about, and this is going to make me sound really old, but about... 18 years ago, uh, we went on holiday with um, my sister and her husband and her two children. And wherever we went, it was in like Norfolk Way. We went to this theme park and um, my niece was two years old at the time. Now, as I'm telling this story, I'm like, Dina, what were you thinking? But at the time, it all seemed okay. So my niece, Keris, was two years old. And we got to this ride, the runaway train. Any of you been on like runaway train in theme parks? Okay. And Keris, who was two, said, I want to go on that. So we measured her on the, on the, you know, you get them height things, you have to be minimum height to go on. She was fine with that. But I'm still thinking, but she's two. And so I asked the, the operator of the ride, is she okay to go on? Oh, yeah, yeah, she's fine. So Mark went on with our nephew and I went on, got on this runaway train with Keris. And as we're in the queue, what would happen is the train would do a track, like one lap of the track and then would go around again. And a couple of times, kids had been on it who clearly hadn't enjoyed it the first time. So the guy was really kind. And as the train came into like the station, they got off and then it went round again, you know, kind of thrown you from side to side. So I thought, worst case scenario, if she hates it, we'll be able to stop and get off. So we get in. And as you, pulled, as you pulled out the station, you kind of went into this really dark bit and the train kind of really slowly went up. And then as it got to the top, it kind of whooshed down. As soon as we got in the dark, my niece, Keris, bearing in mind as two, decided, mm -mm, I don't like this. <laughs> and so she stood up. Now, you know when you have the bar that comes over? Somehow, she stood up. Oh, it's giving me palpitations now thinking about it. So imagine the horror I have now for the, the, the entire lap as we're going up and down and around and around holding. And she was so scared, she just went rigid. And I'm trying to like push her in and bend her knees. I'm terrified. Mark sat behind me and he can see this playing out in front of him. So I literally, it was my arms holding her the whole way around thinking, oh my goodness, but it's okay because we're going to pull into the, into the station, the guy will stop. We pulled into the station, he can clearly see this toddler is stood up, but let the train go again. Oh my goodness, to say I was traumatised for a long time is an understatement. Nothing to do with what I'm preaching on, but just thought I would, <laughs> I would just let you in a little bit. Was that an okay story to tell? It was alright? It was alright. She wasn't, she was very little. She was too. Okay, maybe a little, I'm sure she was too. Anyhow, that's for a different time, that's for a different time. One of the things I love about when Jesus tells stories is that in some of the parables, at first glance we can think, I'm not really sure what Jesus is trying to teach us then. And he was usually quite good, he'd unpack it for his disciples so that they could learn. And some of the parables, we have to dig a little bit deeper. Jesus, what are you trying to teach us in this? But there are some parables that when you first read it, you can think, oh, it's really obvious what Jesus is trying to teach us then. It's really obvious, like, the moral of that story. It's really obvious 
what he's, the truth he's trying to teach. And the parable we're looking at this morning is a little bit like that, a little bit. So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 18? And we're going to read the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is contained within it. And as I speak now, the words I believe you've inspired me, I pray that you will speak to people's hearts, that we will each hear what you want us to hear, which will be different for all of us. Help us all to hear your word drop into our hearts today, I pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. At first glance, you could be forgiven for thinking, well, this is really only culturally relevant for those times. We don't have Pharisees and tax collectors hanging around church. We don't have, um, you know, it, it doesn't look like that now. And on the surface, that's true. But if we dig a little bit deeper into this parable, we may uncomfortably find ourselves starring in it and needing to be challenged on some of our behaviours and thought patterns. And so in this parable, I think there are two different conditions or syndromes or sicknesses or whatever word you want to put in there, two different conditions that the Pharisee suffers with. The first is the condition of confidence in self, confidence in his own righteousness. And the second is the condition of comparison. And so we're going to unpack those a little bit this morning. It starts off by saying Jesus tells this story to those who had great confidence in their own righteousness. And when we look at the Pharisee, because Pharisees do get a bit of a bad deal in the Bible. Whenever we read a story of the Pharisees, particularly when we're teaching children, we're always like, oh, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders and, and they went against the things that Jesus said. But actually, this Pharisee, he was living a good, righteous way. He did fast. He did tithe. He would have kept himself holy. He would have kept himself righteous. He would have been the kind of person, if you wanted to model what good, holy living looked like, he was the one ticking all the boxes. When he, what he prayed wasn't a lie. God, I thank you that I do tithe and I do fast and I don't live like all those other people. There was truth in what he said. He was the kind of person that set the bar for what people felt was acceptable and was good. And yet, when we skip to the end of the story, we see that it was the tax collector who went home justified and righteous before God, and not the Pharisee. Why? I'd like to suggest it's because the Pharisee's confidence was in himself and his own good deeds, rather than in God. 
See, in his eyes, he was doing all the right things. He was ticking all the boxes, and yet he missed the true um, source of righteousness. He missed the true source of where his, his righteousness came from. His prayer of gratitude may have been spoken towards God, but actually it was, hey, look at me. Look how good I am. Look at what I'm doing. That is what makes me righteous. And I know many of us will probably hear this story and, and almost tut under our breath a little bit, like how arrogant that Pharisee is. I would never get up in, in front of people and say, Lord, thank you this morning that I'm better than all these people around me. Thank you that I'm holier than them. Thank you that I'm more righteous. Thank you that you've... We wouldn't do that, would we? We can see. It doesn't take... It's not rocket science to see that the way the Pharisee was, was loudly declaring how great he was. That's not what this is about. However, just because we might not outwardly act like that doesn't mean we don't always inwardly think like that. Ouch. Just because we don't outwardly act like the Pharisee did doesn't mean that sometimes we don't inwardly think like him. So this is what happens. At some point in our lives, when we become a disciple of Jesus, whether, if you remember when Elena was preaching a few weeks back on um, the story of the prodigal son, and she said, sometimes we have that transformational story, that moment when we find Jesus. For others of us, it's, a more, it's more of a journey of faithfulness. Whenever we first meet Jesus, there comes a point for all of us that we recognize, wow, if I want to be forgiven, if I want to live in relationship with God, it's only because of Jesus. It's only because of what he did on the cross. We, we, we understand something. It's because God loves me that he sent Jesus. It's not because of what I've done. It's all because of him, amen? That we, we all start at that point. We grasp something of the fact that, that it's only because of God. It's only because of his love for us. It's only because of his grace and his mercy. And our confidence at that point is purely, purely in the grace and mercy of Jesus. But as time passes and we learn some more and we grow some more and we get involved with serving in church, which is amazing, but something sneaky can begin to happen because we can begin to use the things we do as markers of our righteousness. We don't necessarily say that, oh, because I've done this, I'm more righteous, but that can be how we think. Let me give you some examples. You may say, well, I serve on a team. Dean, you've just been asking people, like, come on board, come serve on a team. I serve on a team. That helps make new life happen. Therefore, I'm a good person. Therefore, actually, that, that, that adds to my righteousness. For you, maybe it's, would you know, when there's been a really late night event on in new life, I'm one of the few that go afterwards. I'm one of the ones that gets the hoover out late. I stay and I help. That makes me a little bit more righteous, I've got to say. Maybe for you it's, well, I tithe every month. A tenth of all I own goes into new life to help serve and make it happen. That's, God is pleased with that. Surely that adds to my righteousness. Now, you see, none of those things are bad. We all need, we all need to be people who serve and give and love. But you, can you see how easy it is for what started as ultimate confidence in it's just because of Jesus that actually can soon turn into a self-confidence in our self-righteousness. The stuff I do, that makes me pleasing and acceptable in God's eyes. None of us like to think we fall into that category, but Jesus didn't tell this story for nothing. And I want to encourage you this morning that serving, giving, loving other people, they're all good and they're all godly and they please God, but none of them make you more righteous because that's only because of him. It's only because of what he did on the cross. So, 
Take the pressure off. Serve because you have a heart to serve. Give because you want to give. Love because you're compelled to love. But don't try and do those things to earn the acceptance of God. The substance of our lives doesn't make us righteous. Sorry, the stuff of our lives doesn't make us righteous. The substance of our salvation does. The stuff that you do does not make you righteous. It's in him because of him and our salvation. Now, a bit of a caveat here. Being made righteous because of Jesus does not then just give us a license to live however we want. We are the king's people. And even though, like Elena was saying last week, we don't necessarily live by the laws and the rules, we, we are called to live according to the calling we've received. It matters. It matters how we live. And so I'd never want somebody, well, you said I was made righteous, so what does it matter? It matters. It doesn't affect your righteousness, but how you live reflects what you think of our Father God. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in a way that makes him look good. I want to live in a way that reflects his glory and his goodness to the world. Paul says to the Philippians, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Let's not suffer with a condition of confidence in our own righteousness and our own goodness. It's not about me. It's not about you, what you've done. It's all about him. The second condition that the Pharisee suffered with is the condition of comparison. Not only do we see him relying on himself and the good things he does, but he compares himself. And I love it because it says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like um, those other people, cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. And then because in his eyes, the tax collector is so despised, he puts him in his own category of sin. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I know tax collectors were despised, but I think to, to kind of give them their own category was maybe a little bit harsh. But See, the Pharisee elevated himself because he perceived that he was better than those around him. And when it comes to subconsciously viewing our own righteousness, I wonder how many of us sometimes do that. See, there are two types of comparison. There's upward social comparison. When we compare ourselves with people that we perceive as being better than us, and that, that makes us feel inferior. Well, I'm not as good as them. I'm not as gifted as them. I'm not as holy as them. And then there's downward social comparison. When we compare ourselves with people we think are less than us, I'm not as messed up as them. I'm doing better than them. And neither type of comparison is healthy. Just going to ask uh, Angie and Mark, just pop up on the stage uh, with me for a minute, if that's all right. Um, they're like, what? You're asking us to come on the stage? So you see, you may look at Mark and think, God, I'm not as good a Bible teacher as he is. I'm not as good looking as he is. I'm not as good parent as, as he is. You might be thinking, I don't know who's wolf listening, but stop now. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just not as good as Mark. And you can end up then feeling like, well, Mark is so much better than me and I, and I feel inferior. Or it might be like, well, I'm better organized than Angie. I could do a better job than she could. It's not possible, but you might think it. I'm not as good as, you know, I'm a, I, could do, I could do better than Angie. I could actually, maybe I could do better than Mark, or maybe Angie's better than me on this. Listen, you've not been called to be a Mark or an Angie. You've been called to be you, and you've been called to run in your lane. And yes, you can look, and Mark is amazing, and Angie's equally amazing, but you're not them. 
You are called to be you, thank you guys. You're called to be you and to run in your lane. I once heard somebody describe success as simply doing what God has asked you to do, nothing more, nothing less. And if we spend our time comparing ourselves to gifted people around us, I'm not as good as them, or with people that we perceive as being less than, all the time we're missing out on God. What have you asked me to do? You spend all your time looking to the left and the right. How are you running in your lane? I'm a big believer that God made each one of us different. You bring your gift to the table. I bring my gift to the table. And together, it's like the whole, you know, the licorice all sorts. They're just, there's a whole ramble of, of all different things in there. But together, they make up this, I would say, beautiful box of licorice, is it? It's not my bag. But together, they all make up something. And that's the same with church. We need to not compare ourselves to other people. The Pharisee believed that his higher social status, his greater deeds, they were what made him righteous. But Jesus is abundantly clear that it's not those things that make you righteous. And many times in the Gospels, we read of how the Pharisees lived according to their own standard of righteousness, but actually missed out huge chunks of biblical, true biblical righteousness. Matthew says, Matthew says, Jesus says in Matthew 23, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you, and you Pharisees? You're hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. You see, the lifestyle of the Pharisee wasn't wrong per se. He was doing good things, but it was his elevated opinion of himself. And Jesus goes on to say that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want to encourage you, don't get caught up in the comparison trap. There are always going to be people further on than you. There's always going to be people further behind. You've been called to run your race in your lane. Your righteousness comes only because of what Jesus has done for you. So no comparison with anybody else is going to affect that. So live well, serve well, but do it from a place of love and gratitude because of who he is and what he's done. So the condition of self-confidence and our self-righteousness, the condition of comparison. But I believe we find the medicine for both of these conditions in this parable too, and that is the medicine of humility. Because we look at the tax collector, and, and even though I've just told you not to compare, in comparison to the Pharisee, <laughs> It just helps my point, so we'll just we'll let it go this time. In comparison to the Pharisee, he wasn't a good man. He wasn't going to be winning any awards for a holy life. See, tax collectors were despised because they were Jewish people who chose to work for the Romans. And so the Jewish people would, would view, if you became a tax collector, you are a traitor because you are now working for those foreigners who are ruling over us. And tax collectors weren't paid a wage particularly. They were expected to take people's taxes and just take a little bit extra for themselves. But the problem was a lot of tax collectors were dishonest and abused the system and took far too much. And nobody likes it when the tax man takes far too much. And so if this is his lifestyle, this is the kind of person he is, what did he do that allowed him to leave the temple justified before God and not the Pharisee? It's because he recognized he had no cause to expect God to forgive him except through God's mercy alone. He knew the state of his heart. And I believe he actually had a humble confidence to know, God, it's only you who can forgive me. You know, the Bible says he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He'd just beat his chest in sorrow. God, forgive me. Have mercy on me, for I 
am a sinner. And God sees the sincerity of his heart and credits him with his righteousness. And I believe that that sense of humility in the tax collector is what we are called to embrace. Instead of looking to what we do to make us righteous, actually we recognize Jesus is only because of you. It's only because you were willing to die on the cross. It's only because you were willing to make that way that I can be loved and accepted and forgiven. We need to be people who model our lives after the tax collector, not his lifestyle, but his heart. And when he came to the temple, there was a recognition, I'm coming here, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve the love of Jesus. I don't deserve the mercy of Jesus. But actually, God, I recognize it's only you. And I just put a challenge out to you. Maybe if you've been a Christian a long time. For me, I'm 40. I've been in church all of my life. First, you know, responded to Jesus at the age of five. And I wonder, and this has been a challenge for me, how often do I look at it and think, well, I am righteous because I do these things. That does add to it. I, I am good because I serve. I, I do preach. I do host. I, I do these things. Does, and subconsciously, am I looking to those things to make me acceptable and good and pleasing in God's sight when actually it's just because of him? Yeah. It's nothing I've done. It's just because of him. Jesus condemns the Pharisee because his prayer is about himself and how God should be honoured at his faithfulness. But he lifts the tax collector up because his prayer shows his ultimate need for God's mercy. May we be people who treat the conditions of self-confidence and comparison with the medicine of humility. I'm going to ask the band just to come up as I'm just beginning to wrap up. We used to ask a question to people. Um, sometimes if we went out in the streets doing some witnessing or some um, evangelism, and we'd say to them, if you die tonight and we're trying to gain entry into heaven, what would you say? If you die tonight and we're trying to gain entry into heaven, if you were stood at the pearly gates trying to convince the angels, this is, this is why I should come in, what would you say? And maybe people who are not followers of Jesus would say things like, well, I, I'm a good person. I, I try and help people. I give to charity. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I, I, I've, I've tried to live a good life. That's why I should be let into heaven. If maybe we were asked the same question this morning, we might say things like, well, I have faith in Jesus. I've followed him. I've, I've sought to live a good and righteous life. I try to bring his kingdom into my world. See, both sets of answers use the first person because I did, because I believed, because I followed. And there's a preacher called Alistair Begg, and he says the only answer to that question should be because he, because he lived, because he died. And what I'm about to talk about, Pastor Russ actually mentioned a few weeks back in one of his sermons. But I want you to imagine for a minute a thief on the cross. When Jesus died, the Bible tells us a thief either side. And when we read, there's a conversation that goes on between Jesus and the thief. I want you to imagine this thief has now died and he is at the gates of heaven. He is standing there and the angels say to him, well, what are you doing here? And the thief says, I don't know. The angel says, well, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, I don't know. The angel says, I think I better go and get my supervisor. So he calls his supervisor over and She's got a few questions for you. Have you been in church and prayed a prayer and, and, and become a Christian? No? Okay. 
Have you regularly gone to church? No. Have you been on an Alpha course? No. Do you know the doctrine of justification? Never heard of it. So the angels are now like, they're they're getting a little bit confused. Like, why is this guy here? Have you ever, have you tried to live a good life and sought to please God? Well, this is a thief on the cross. He's clearly not done that. So he, he says no. Have you been to Bible studies? No. The angel says, on what basis are you here then? And the thief says, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. The man on the middle cross says, I can come. It's not about me. It's not what I do, it's about him. It's about him and our salvation is not based on anything we've done but purely on Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you. Confidence in this morning. Confidence in the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus because we are made righteous by him alone and I want to leave you with a challenge to allow your serving, your giving, the way you live, the way you love, the way you you outwork his kingdom in this world. Let it be motivated by love and thankfulness to Jesus. Not anything to do with self, not anything confident in your own righteousness, but only in him.